welcome to Diminishing Returns. It's the <laughs> Valentine's special. My name is Alluring Alan Turing. Joining me as always is Sexy Sol Harris. Oh, you went for sexy. That was a bit obvious. I would have gone with sumptuous. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> joining me as always is Sumptuous Sol Harris. Hello. And joining us as always on our Valentine's specials is Calvin. Oh, I was hoping I was going to get curvaceous or something like that. Carousing, Calvin. Carousing. Yes, so I like that. So, so hang on. This is our Valentine's Day special because it we've done a Christmas movie. <laughs> yes, we have. Oh, we yes. decided. Well, we did. We did a we did an action film for our Christmas special. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we're just one behind. To we'll do a sexy film on Halloween. Mm. Uh, yes, uh, we we did not choose to do Eyes Wide Shut. It was chosen for us by the yes. patrons, the fine patrons of this. Uh, yes, podcast. this is uh, this Valentine's Day episode tradition is uh, in its fifth year now, I believe. God, yeah, but we we did we started with the Fifty Shades of Grey, and so that dealt with the first three years because we just did one film each year, mm. uh, and and we just sort of like yeah, Valentine's, let's do something like erotic thriller kind of nonsense and take the piss. We, yeah, we we hated the films and there wasn't a lot to talk about <laughs> with them, so we just ended up discussing smut and sex. <laughs> and our dating histories. People seem to like that. But then what did we do last year? Didn't we let the patrons choose last year as well? We threw it out to Patreon last year and they didn't understand <laughs> and they chose a good film, so we ended up doing Boogie Nights, like a real oh, film, uh, instead oh, yeah, of a, yeah, a, a stupid film. erotic thriller. And, <laughs> and we threw it out to Patreon again this year. And they had some excellent choices. Calvin has been canvassing. Calvin told them to choose Cruising with Al Pacino. Mm. I thought we could have had a great time with that. They told you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we could have had a really great time with that one as well. Al Pacino going undercover in New York leather gay bars in the 80s, directed by the guy who did The Exorcist. I thought that would have been a great one for <laughs> us to... Discuss, but never mind. There's always next year, I suppose. Which, well, which, but the thing, the thing with that is, like, which Pacino is it? Because Al Pacino. I assume that's too <laughs> early for cocaine Chino, isn't it? It's like, like that's they. That, that's not like I'm undercover as a oh. gay. It's got to be oh, like you. Uh, have, you you haven't a, seen the okay, okay. I'm, I'm a, I'm you a haven't seen the clip of him going like dancing in the leather bar, have you? Where he goes full, like full Pacino gay dancing. Well, we might get there eventually because the uh, the good voters <laughs> did pick a film that is probably the most reputable film, or certainly one that's interesting for discussion. Actually, they um, picked a proper I... film again. Yeah, they, yes. they didn't get it. In fact, <laughs> I think they actually did get it. If you look at the comments, it seems like they did get it, but they didn't care. They just wanted us to do this film anyway. <laughs> well, I think there's an awful lot to discuss here, which is good. Oh god, yeah, um, I, I've got a whole page of notes where I've had to scribble all over the top of my notes and so on. I I don't doubt we're going to have an, an, a really interesting discussion about a film and filmmaking, but we might uh, not have as many discussions about spunking knobs as. Uh, <laughs> we were hoping for oh i don't know about that we, we've got some material i'll try and squeeze some in oh that's what she said <laughs> we're doing eyes wide shut have we actually said that yet? so eyes wide shut beat out uh beat off beat debbie off. does dallas hey. uh showgirls cruising oh showgirls would have been the the choice yeah that was same here because that's one i've not seen but has been on my to-do list for a long long time um as a fan of paul verhoeven 
But no, we are doing Stanley Kubrick's final film as a director. And the one that killed him. (laughs) (laughs) The one that broke up Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. A film I had only seen once prior to last night when I rewatched it for this podcast. Um, I think I'm on record saying Stanley Kubrick is my favourite director of all time. I think when I brought that up a while ago, Calvin scoffed at the idea. Like, like, (laughs) oh, you don't even... You don't even like any of his films, and it's like, well, <laughs> like like all of them apart from like three, I think. Oh, uh, well, uh, do the numbers bear that out, Sol? On the list, no, he's he's about nineteen on the list, nineteenth, I believe. Mm. There you go. I mean, you, you say he's your favourite, but doesn't add up. <laughs> yeah, but he's he, he's at you, sir. he's also one of the only directors on the list who I've seen the entire body of work of. All three of them. Oh, that was a joke about his limited filmography. Oh, right. Yeah. How many has he got? He's got. He's got. He must have about ten films, right? He was. He what? He, he did actually make films in the sixties, like before he just took ten years off. Well, yeah, he used to churn them out two a year, like most people. But it was the last three or four that were like you know five, seven, ten years apart. And uh, the biggest gap between his films is, of course, this one: Eyes Wide Shut and the previous film, Full Metal Jacket, which uh, was yeah, a twelve-year gap. Mm. A huge, huge gap, really. But, um, you know, he was developing. Yes, and in that time, he'd turned from a skilled director into a sort of confused, horny old man who just wants to make soft corp. <laughs> well, we should also start this as well by saying, I'm sure we'll get into the plot and, and, and whatnot, but just a little bit on the production history as well first. Um, this film was released in 1999. It started filming in 1996 and shot for an incredibly long time. And Stanley Kubrick died before the film came out. So whilst it is his last film, is it his last... Is it really his film, basically, is what I'm saying? Because there were a good few moments. Oh, yeah. Well, well I, he he delivered his first edit, yeah, like, yeah, four yeah. days before he died, didn't he? So it feels like that's a good idea of what the film was would end up being. This is something I wanted to talk about, really, because to me, this... Like, Warner Brothers swear blind that this is the finished film. He turned it in, he was happy with it. This was the final cut that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman had to sign off uh, a nudity clause their contract to kind of agree with this version going out they they swear this is the film as it was always intended but it's clear as day just to watch it (laughs) that it's not this feels like a work print of a film Mm. yeah it feels like a film that's going to have 40 minutes yeah 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 it really does and (laughs) and and i you know i i think it's a real shame he never i mean that's the other thing is kubrick was renowned for you know being meticulous and working on things up until Mm. the well, not just the day of release, but in the case of The Shining, he was re-editing it after it had come out. There was like a cut that went to cinemas, and then he continued to re-edit it slightly for subsequent releases. And... I think Tom Cruise said he was still editing it on the set of Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> he was uh, tinkering away with it. But yeah, I was going to make that same point about he's notorious for like right up yeah. until it actually goes out. So the fact that he handed this in what, five months before the release date? Something like that? I don't know. Certainly the music wasn't completed, the sound effects, the colour correction. There was still a good deal of post-work left to be done. So how much is it his? Yeah, He died three months before it came out, so I think that's three months solidly he would have been working on it. And I I think it's a real shame, because I... I mean, not to get too much into this, but I, I think the alternate universe in which Kubrick does finish this film and it's completely what he wants it to be, I think it would be 
um, a contender for one of my, if not my favourite Kubrick film. There's enough here that if it kind of got tightened up and so on, I, I think it would be among the best, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, and I say that as a big fan. Um, I mean, I... Uh... I agree that it could be better, but I think its best cut is still going to be pretty mediocre. Mm. Not, to, not to show my opinion <laughs> too soon. <laughs> I because I I just thought. I mean, I wasn't convinced by anything any of it really. Um, well, I just think um, we should talk about knobs and cocks again a bit. I, I feel things are getting a bit too highbrow, multi uh, <laughs> party. So, well, are there any cocks in this film? Well, there's not. There's no yeah. knobs, is there? Yeah, it's all just tits and yeah, a bit of The male gaze. <laughs> yeah, mm. And they're doing like fellatio stuff with masks on. I don't quite know how that works. What? Did they? I didn't. I didn't see any fellatio because I thought that. Oh myself. yeah, they are. Like, they're all wearing full face masks. How are you going to fellate? There's a point where they walk into a room and there's two women sixty nineing with masks on, which means they're just kind of miming. Oh yeah. Miming <laughs> what they're doing. Yeah, really um, but I think it's possible. I mean, you probably just didn't see it. It's possible you saw the infamous toned-down edit where they kind of Austin Powers, yes. <laughs> digitally Austin Powers a load of things in front of all the boobs, so you don't it's see It's really any. funny. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely didn't. That I definitely saw lots of boobs and things. Yeah, uh, not a lot of sex, really, uh, for something that was kind of sold as a sexy erotic thriller, even though I don't think that's really what it was meant it to was be. It was sold as an erotic thriller, but it obviously had no intention of being a, a you know, erotic thriller. It's a Kubrick film. It's it's an adaptation of um a book called I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation, but Trom Novelle, I believe, which translates as Dream Story, mm. which is an old Austrian Traum. Austrian book from the twenties, like nineteen twenty six, something like that. Mm. Yeah, I read about that, and it, and it I immediately struck me like, God, this film would have been better if it was sort of a period setting. Mm. Oh, there's there's elements that don't translate particularly well, and they haven't really... Yeah. They've translated them in a kind of superficial way, I think, but not in a kind of cultural way, if that makes sense. But I, I, I must say, I you know, I, I think it's pretty clear from how you two have been talking about it, I'm going to be the positive voice <laughs> defending this film. Um well... I think it really does capture a, a dreamlike quality, uh, a real kind of sense of. I don't know quite what you call it. Boring. I don't think we announced. <laughs> no, I don't think we we announced it in any of our proper episodes. But Alan and I have had COVID for like the last three episodes of this podcast. Um, we're fine now. But anyway, there was, there was a diminisode about it. You'd know all about it if you if you went over to our Patreon. <laughs> But one of the lingering after effects of it is that I do keep finding every now and then I'll just be outside on a walk or something and I will just get really spaced out and be like disassociating from from my body almost. It's very strange. And, and this film had that quality to it where it was just kind of like, whoa, man, trippy. Whereas I have been healthy and of sane mind this entire <laughs> pandemic, and I... And so you were able to see this film for what it truly exactly, was. Exactly, yes. Um, <laughs> I think just to sort of... We'll, we'll get into the plot, I'm sure. The very top mm. line of it, if, if you don't mind me sort of doing the elevator pitch, um, is that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are a very well-to-do married couple, and they talk about their, you know... Dreams of infidelity and whatnot, and this kind of spurs Tom Cruise on to 
basically just walk the streets and encounter, he gets into different situations with people who want sex from him, he's trying to get into a sex party, all these kinds of things. What Alan said about there not being much sex in the film, I think that's true literally, like we're not seeing people having sex on screen all that much, but I think every single scene does revolve around sex in some way, someone wants it, someone's, you know, trying to do something, it's uh... Tom Cruise spends the entire film with blue balls, pretty much, doesn't he? It's, well, yes! <laughs> yeah, no point does he have sex or any real intimate connection with anyone. Yeah, he's constantly about to have sex and then, you know, changes his mind or something interrupts him or whatever. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's clearly a very lonely man. If this was played as a farcical comedy with, like, Reg Varney well, his end away, it'd be great. It's funny you say that, but it actually was intended to be a farcical sex comedy at one point in its development um with kubrick directing yeah 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 stanley kubrick was really interested in decades earlier uh you know he'd been wanting to adapt this book for a long time and he he was really interested in making it a a real kind of romp (laughs) sex comedy adaptation of the book (laughs) probably with peter sellers or someone in the lead who knows if i'm gonna look it up because i know he was planning it uh for an actor Steve Martin was the actor that Kubrick wanted to make it as a sex comedy. Uh, And prior to that, he did want to make it as a Woody Allen starring uh, film as well. But I don't know if it would have been a sex comedy with Woody Allen. It would make sense, but... Yeah, if you go back far enough, back when Woody Allen was doing Mm. kind of (laughs) stupid comedies. Mm. Hmm. He obviously had a lot of (laughs) ideas in mind. Because it's weird, because it's... (sighs) It's not a comedy at all. Um, there's absurd aspects to it that a certain kind of person might find funny, but honestly, I, I I think it's you know it's it's a relationship drama and a bit of a thriller. I think it gets quite scary, certainly creepy in places. It it gets into real horror territory, and then quickly gets out of it again, and then. Ultimately, it's just about a dwindling relationship. And well, let me uh, let me t- let me read to you a note I made quite early on, actually, which I think sums up the film pretty well. Just a bunch of posh drunk cunts fannying about. <laughs> yeah, and that's basically the film. And I and I wrote that when they're at the first party. They're not even the sex party. They're just fannying about with Sidney Pollack. Mm. There was a lot of stuff in that kind of opening scene, which is interminably long i think it's about 15 20 minutes i yeah yeah this is why i think i think if kubrick had been able to sort this shit out because yeah i find the opening 40 minutes or so pretty dull Mm. but for me the film exactly the same yeah once the kind of mystery element the the thriller element kicks in it is a lot more engaging Mm. i Mm. for me the film kicks into gear in the scene where tom cruise and nicole kidman are decompressing after the party um i don't really care about anything at the party or any of that but i find the interplay between them and and this kind of raw confession i i I think i think this film is a really interesting very honest uh expression of a lot of feelings and and things that people all have to some degree or another but you know are you are you talking about the conversation where they're smoking weed and then she kind of confesses to this yeah. uh, kind of infidelity thing so well I, I mean to be honest with you like you're saying that's yeah that's like a raw expression of like them discussing their feelings or whatever but it's just like uh, i i don't understand I, I appreciate that i'm not exactly <laughs> a faithful monogamist here but <laughs> the idea that 
you can't even fantasize about other people. You're not even allowed to be attracted to other people. Is that a thing that people do in oh, relationships? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I dated, absolutely yes. yes. And, um, yeah. and also, it goes beyond that. She is not just that she's like, oh, I saw this guy and he was really hot and I wanted to fuck him. Which would be, you know, that would be grounds for a huge <laughs> row with most couples, I think. But it's not even that she wow. says that. She says, I would have, like, if he had Left you, said, yeah. come and spend the night with me, I would have given up everything, you included, my and entire life, my to do it. <laughs> and that's... Yeah, that was definitely a kind of fuck you A horrible him, thing yeah. to say to someone. But it's also incredibly raw and honest. And I, 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 I find this particular scene really wonderful actually i it, it really evokes for me it evoked the very best of the kind of dogma 95 school of filmmaking it, it, when i was watching it i was thinking <laughs> nothing is happening but i'm utterly captivated in this interplay between these two and it reminds me of the film the hunt the mads mickelson film which i watched fairly recently which is the same thing from that dogma 95 school Festin, all these other kind of films where there's no, you know, there's no guns, there's no big obvious stuff happening. It's just people talking, but they're creating really compelling drama. Now, I I appreciate that from the sounds of it, it wasn't particularly compelling for either of you, <laughs> but I I really got a lot out of it. My problem with that, I guess, is first of all, I can't relate to it at all because it's just these people live in a way that I just don't at all. Um. And But also, I was really put off by the fact that Nicole Kidman acting stoned, probably the worst <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Oh. Um, and also, and, 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 let, and, and judge this as you will, I got from that scene that she had slept with this other guy. And then she was saying, and if he'd, if he'd said, I would have left you. But he just went off. I did not get that that was just a fantasy. I, th- I thought she was confessing to... A, a full-on kind of affair or one-off affair, which totally and I only I only found out that that wasn't the case when I was reading the Wikipedia article afterwards because I was you know finding out about the production, but also I, the plot was there, and I was like, oh, she didn't actually cheat on him, and that completely recontextualized his response to it. Yeah, I think it's far more um, interesting that she didn't. Um, yeah, I do as well. I don't know how you it, got that. Because be honest, unless you were just assuming uh, because she... uh, because I wasn't paying attention because I was bored uh, <laughs> is probably why. But but the but it does change things because his response of going out there and kind of wanting to have his own sort of little discovery thing, sexual um, kind of. He, he, I don't think he particularly wants to have an affair, but he just wants to feel like he could. Yeah. Um, and then so that really makes a lot more sense because. Actually, his response on a kind of an emotional level, I felt like wasn't enough. Like I would be like, "Oh well, I I might leave you then," you know. Like it, that's never really contemplated. So it actually helped me uh, when I found that out. Yeah, oh, completely. But, uh, yeah. I, I think it's very important, a very important detail. Yeah. Um, but she's just saying anything she can to annoy him and and get into a fight. So it doesn't mean anything. And then. It's like, I, I, but I've seen people in these kinds of relationships and they get drunk, shout at each other. Mm-hmm. And then the next day they're just like back together again, like never happened. And like that, it's, I, I honestly, like just that scene, particularly with her, the way she was acting, behaving in that. I just thought, well, can you imagine being in a relationship with this woman? I don't know how quickly I would get out of that <laughs> relationship. 
what an awful piece of work she is. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot of paperwork to do to uh, with the Church of Scientology <laughs> if you want to get out of one of these things. It's quite a lot of work. Um, I think we should touch on Nicole Kidman for a second because I, I don't think we've done a film with her in before. We've done Aquaman, you know what? if that it, counts. Interestingly but... enough... I kind of had the similar thought, uh, I guess, that you're going to here, mm. where when I was watching this, I was like, where, where was Nicole Kidman in her career at this point? And I looked it up and like all the stuff before this, it is just kind of like, you know, she's not a major star. It's just, you know, things here and there. She was in a Batman film. And like, like she's there. She's a presence, but not like a bankable star. And then like the couple of years that come after this, she did uh, Moulin Rouge the others, the hours, which was like the real kind of credibility one. But that all just came in like the two, three years after this. You know, maybe this was a film that kind of turned it Because I think she was just Tom Cruise's wife before that, wasn't she? Maybe when she left him, she started doing better projects. <laughs> I think she's similar to Angelina Jolie in that her star power is predominantly not about the films that she's been involved in. Um, but she's obviously done a lot of very well-regarded performances and films that give her that credibility uh, to kind of back it all up. But, I mean, I, I know, certainly going back to uni, maybe your opinion's changed, Alan, but I know you used to think Nicole Kidman was a terrible, terrible actor, and that's an opinion I certainly used to hold. Um, oh. I think Eyes Wide Shut, when I first watched it, was the first time I'd ever seen her in something where I didn't think this is absolutely terrible. Um, and I have since seen a few films like Dogville, where I'm like, okay, she's she's okay. But I will say, like, I've never seen Nicole Kidman in a film where I've come away thinking, wow, yeah, she's incredible. Wow, she's great. At best, she gets away with it. Yeah, I definitely thought at the end of this film, where they're having like the emotional denouement of the whole thing, I really liked her there. I thought she mm. did a great job. I think this is the best performance I've seen her give ever. I'll, I'll say that. But much. the beginning, all the beginning stuff where she's dancing with like that Ricardo Montalban type, mm -hmm. or, or when she was just getting stoned, like totally terrible, absolutely yeah, awful. She, but at the end, when she was crying a bit, it was all right. It was pretty. And she can't really do the drunk and the um, high acting very well, can she? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I had that same thing when she was dancing around with the guy at the party. I think um, a lot must be said as well of the fact that they were a married couple when they were filming this when it was released, and that will have certainly lent the film a certain amount of publicity. Yes. Like this, you know, this A-list Hollywood married couple in a romantic, you know, an erotic film and all that kind of stuff. Um, I did read something... I, quite a funny article about how some people are convinced that this was just Kubrick's way of messing with Tom Cruise and basically <laughs> derailing his career because when you think about it like both these actors were in places where Tom Cruise had done mission well Tom Cruise was very well established and Nicole Kidman was just sort of had that stardom um uh, coming up but uh, this was really trapping them in Pinewood Studios for like three years nearly three to film years. one <laughs> thing. And Tom Cruise had to like push back Mission Impossible 2 mm. for this and there's all this stuff about he was like saying, can you just please tell us how long this is going to take to shoot? It doesn't matter how long it takes, we just need to know for our next projects and Stanley Kubrick would of course not uh, do that. So um, cause the, the lengths they went to, obviously Kubrick doesn't like flying, but they just recreated streets of New York on sound stages <laughs> in London. Yeah, down to measuring the streets with a tape measure and you know, exactly just, recreating yeah. them in Pinewood. But do you, you know what, though? It, it does create an odd effect because it looks really good, 
yeah. but it also just doesn't, doesn't look, like New look York. real. Mm. <laughs> yeah. and so it, but I think I guess that adds to the dreamlike Completely. quality that they're going mm. for. Totally. I don't know if it's deliberate. There's a lot of weird things going on that I think really do add to that kind of ethereal vibe of this film. Um, the, the biggest one for me is the use of colour, which I found absolutely fascinating on the, the repeat viewing. Because obviously it's not finished in terms of the colour grade and everything, but there is a clear, clear use of a very distinctive colour palette throughout this film, where blue obviously means something, and red obviously means something. Uh, and I think you could look into other colours having a bit of meaning to a lesser extent, but blue and red are both used incredibly prominently, which is the same as uh, Aladdin. I think in our Aladdin episode we touched on how <laughs> blue is used as a kind of safe colour and red is evil and danger That's throughout the horny that film. Colour, isn't it? Yeah, so, so the obvious... Whenever Aladdin and Jasmine are getting together, it goes bright. <laughs> well, that's it. The, the obvious thing here would be that red is, you know, lust and sexual desire and blue is a kind of kick in the dick and you're not into <laughs> blue balls blue is the feeling immediately after you've come and you just want to <laughs> like be done with it all and <laughs> the thing is it doesn't work because the colors seem to swap around throughout the film it kind of starts one way like that scene we were just talking about is all red but then nicole kidman stood in the doorway and it's all blue behind her but then later on when tom cruise tracks down this weird sex cult party the gate of the the building is blue which is a very unusual color for a gate which is you know obviously playing into this whole color scheme thing but surely it should be red it's a foretelling of the blue ball <laughs> Well, Kubrick was obviously, you know, I think we spoke about this in the Clockwork Orange episode of the show that we've done, but he was obsessed with subconsciously fucking around with people's heads. <laughs> and he read loads of books on it, and that's why A Clockwork Orange has, like, intentional continuity issues with, like, the glasses and the food and stuff on the table, because he was intentionally trying to disorient uh, disorientate the, the viewer. And I think he's doing a similar thing here. I think he's trying to draw attention to the disparity between lust and, you know, a kind of familiarity, a kind of boredom, but he doesn't want it to be that simple. He's he's also trying to create this kind of weird confusion, and, and I don't know, I, I think it's really It's a perfect excuse for any artist, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I, I was being shit deliberately, it's meta art. Well, is it shit? It, would it be better if you know, it was obvious as hell if he went and the gate was red instead of blue and it just stayed that way. Like, it's obvious every single time. Honestly, if you watch the film with the blue-red thing in mind, it's it's not subtle. It's clear as day. Like, oh, there's red. Like, the, 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 the prostitute's door is red, but then the inner door is blue once he goes through that outer door. It's, it's this well, weird... Well, still at the horny stage, when he... That's just the next door. It's like, what's happened in the vestibule that's suddenly changed it? Well, just outside the door is a blue pram, and it's in that bit where he has the discussion with that her friend who kind of... It all gets very awkward. And, and you know, he goes into her room intending to have sex with her and then it ultimately doesn't happen but this is my point is it's confusing it's it adds to this idea of sexual confusion and is is something actually sexy because that party not to get too ahead of ourselves but the sex party in the film is the least sexy thing i've ever seen in my life it's not <laughs> it's not titillating and i can't imagine kubrick was that far removed from 
his humanity at this point that <laughs> he thought this was sexy and what people were into. It's well, I, 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 I would, I would completely believe that Kubrick has no idea what sex is, yeah. really, or why it works, or why people feel sexual feelings, and he's just, he just understands the concept of a nude woman. Yes. People like nude women, right? Okay, put some nude women in there. That's sexy. Tell them not to move sometimes. Or tell them when they're doing sex to be really over-the-top, stylized <laughs> movements of sex. That it looks like they're pretending to have sex. What do you mean that's what I look like when I'm... <laughs> There's a lot of head banging. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like the scene from Wayne's World when they listen to Queen. <laughs> Well, I think that's a very generous analysis of the colour scheme there, so well done. I, I just found it fascinating, <laughs> and I, I, I'm adamant that it's intentional. The idea of Kubrick as a storyteller, because he really isn't, like, or I don't feel like he is anyway, and I feel like that's at play here. If This could be a really nice, tight little erotic thriller story with maybe a few scenes added here and there. Like, it, it could work, but I think the thing that I like about Kubrick, like, I don't really know if I go to Clockwork Orange or The Shining for the story as such, but there's just a whole vibe to them, a creepy, eerie, slightly funny vibe that just really works. So even when nothing's much really happening, like Danny's just rolling through the, the corridors of the hotel in The Shining, I'm still getting something out of it. Here, I don't get anything out of Tom Cruise pacing the streets. Um, it, it's just... <sighs> I, I, I mean, I kind of agree with you. I, I do not think of Kubrick as a writer, although he did do a lot of writing. He, he's a director, first and foremost, in my opinion. And it, yeah, I agree, because, you know, The Shining is one of his films I don't particularly like, but I think it's incredible in in how it creates a, a tone and an atmosphere and a vibe and i think the same is true of 2001 a space odyssey which i don't particularly care for mm. but i think sometimes he just latches on to an excellent story and it's not i don't think it's his eye for narrative or character particularly but you know he's often working with strong source material um but i think you know for me it works here because he's bringing that kubrick energy and artistry to what i personally find to be a very i i don't think this film should be i don't think the best version of this film is an erotic thriller i i think it's a really intimate interesting character study and i think that that's more or less there in the film we have uh with all that kind of kubrickian tone and, and energy surrounding it so for me that's why it works well i think that might be my problem because i don't think of kubrick when i think of intimate relationship i don't think of him as someone who really mm. understands oh, completely humans yeah. he's a cold <laughs> and i think cold that, or, yeah and I, and I think that a lot of the human drama is coming from i mean tom cruise will obviously have had a big hand he was a megastar at the at the time and he will have had a big hand in sort of um his portrayal so and Nicole Kidman as well. I think they're both bringing a lot to the table. Um, and maybe that's my disconnect because I don't feel like they're being observed by someone who really understands the human condition. Mm. And I think that works fine in something like A Clockwork Orange or The Shining or... Maybe... Or Full Metal Jacket. All these films are about psychopaths who kill people. <laughs> Basically. Well, yeah. All those films just have people who like lose their humanity. Like That's what all these films are about. Yeah, yeah. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, you've really... Yeah, that that helps me make sense of it in my mind, actually. Uh, whereas here, there isn't that. It's like Christopher Nolan doing something like you know, I I don't I can't feel much for these people, and if that's the point, then I just it just doesn't work for me. Then I guess. 
we've we've done a lot of film talk here. Let's do some sex talk. Okay, so guys, <laughs> um, let me ask you this then: What if your partner was like, "Look, let's fuck around. Let's you know, like see other people. We can do it together, uh, you know, or like we can go off and and do it alone, like with someone else." Not nothing emotional. It's just sex. What about that? Would you would you just be like? Would that be totally off the table? I guess it depends on the context. I mean, I have a hard time kind of, and I say this. You know, I've got friends who are couples who are not in a monogamous relationship, and I've spoken to them about how it works, and it seems to work for them. Um, I think for me, it maybe I'm just not that sexually driven a person <laughs> for me to care enough because mm. it seems like an awful lot of effort. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I know that couples have to set up certain rules and things like that. And uh, that if you're getting into that kind of admin, that just immediately kills any kind of passion <laughs> um, for me. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But like I said, I, I, I have, you know, plenty of couple friends who are in those kinds of relationships and it really works. So um, I, I don't know how... I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't want to cast any sort of judgment at all, but I will say from my time being <laughs> brought in as the other man in a couple of instances, <laughs> you never got the sense that it was a happy relationship that was going to last, you know? <laughs> yeah. it, always, it always felt like uh, this is this a kind is a of desperate attempt last hurrah, <laughs> yeah, a last attempt to make, make something Spark work. Spark something going on, yeah. I know what you mean. I I, I I do understand what you're saying there, Calvin. Like, yeah, the polyamorous people I know, it's all about these rules and like you do this, you don't do that. With, or we, we and they have they have names for everything. And oh, I, I can't like, oh, fucking fuck stand that. it. It's did like I... fuck everybody fuck each other and just shut up. Did I ever <laughs> did I ever tell you about the girl I went on um a series of dates with who I must have got into this where she the first date was to a rope bondage Lesson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. What? She, she was. If I, Jesus. This must be on a previous Valentine's Day oh, episode, okay. right? We've definitely talked about it, so I don't know if Calvin was there at the time. Huh. Um, in case it wasn't, I, I went on a date with someone who, uh, looked exactly like Amy Adams but younger, nice. and um, <laughs> and you met just met them on Tinder, right, or something like that. So you didn't really know them. So yeah, didn't know them first date, and they. Uh, they they basically said i've got this thing booked in on friday it's a surprise but you should come along that should be the the thing and i was like okay and they were like right well i'm not i'm not telling you what it is but then like on the day wear some loose fitting clothes it all shifted and she was like right okay so i need your consent and i need to make sure <laughs> you're okay with this oh my uh, god and she told me what it was and it was this rope the art of rope tying whatever the proper word is class which is like supposedly not sexual but obviously sexual <laughs> like you know you go to a a warehouse with a load of stripper poles and things <laughs> for people who do it as exercise and mm. you know you know i think she found the the thing on fet life which isn't something i've ever dabbled with but fet? you know i think oh fet life is a some i think it's a a social network or an app? I, I've yeah, never it's like used... a, it, it's kind of like just fetish Facebook, basically. <laughs> and you you can have a profile on there, and you can you can like you can join groups that are like you know local groups. So you would be in the you know where do you live, Hammersmith or Wimbledon or something? Yes, you, would, you could like join the Wimbledon uh, swingers group or something like that, <laughs> and then you'd get like updates like, hey, we're having a swingers thing on the the thirteenth of October. Come down, oh, I see. You know that it's that. Mm. So you can kind of connect with other people and and all that sort of hmm. stuff. 
basically the you know long story short she just really annoyed me because she <laughs> she was obsessed with like consent to an annoying degree it was like look yeah. like i've made it very clear at this point that i am up for you know it essentially anything but yeah she <laughs> like she she made me do a thing she called the consent game one night where it was oh like you have to ask, it was basically like truth or dare, but you have to say like, I would like to do this. Do you consent? Yes, uh, I would like to do that. And it was just like, what? The, what is? Can't... Yeah, I can't be doing. Was that. she working through issues? Like, oh, was consent? Oh, was, abs- was it 100%. kind of like a kink? Or no, it was. She's definitely. I mean, she she'd like. Well, let's not get too dark. <laughs> let's not get too dark. But she'd gone off to India. Uh, she'd like filled up her chi or something. Whatever the. <laughs> Whatever the equivalent is in India, from he pray love living in India for a bit. <laughs> that had allowed her to be able to reach orgasm, which she wasn't uh, capable of doing prior to that. It, it was a whole thing, and and it was all very odd. And the whole thing fell apart when she sort of revealed that she doesn't do um, vaginal intercourse, which came out of like, <laughs> uh, you know, because all this other stuff was happening, and she was kind of like you know, what What would you like to do with all the consent game? And I was like, well, you know. Let's get busy. <laughs> sex. We've, we've yeah, already had sex. Lay down, I'll we've, sort of wriggle around. We've already had bit. sex. Well, no, I obviously, <laughs> when I say sex, I obviously mean penis and vagina intercourse. <laughs> well, she got really angry that, like, most people don't acknowledge that sex includes things other than, you know, vaginal intercourse and it's like well that, yeah, but, yeah but i mean I, yeah of course oral sex is a type of sex but when someone says sex it's you know hmm. i did not have sexual relations <laughs> i accidentally did a hank hill impression <laughs> that was supposed to be bill clinton i did date someone who just going back to what we were talking about earlier because i was going to say this then um just about the whole um you know some people getting annoyed if you know if they potentially think that their partner might be even thinking about having sex with someone else uh i did date someone this is going back years ago now um but he was like he was very adamant that if you are in a relationship with someone you cannot look at porn because if you are oh, watching if you are watching porn then you are imagining yourself with yeah. the people which i disagreed with wholeheartedly that's not, that's oh i know not, it's it's absurd yeah, it's ridiculous but is that a common thing has that come up for you as well Saul? it's a very common thing from what i can gather um yeah. i don't know if you've seen the film don john the uh directorial effort from joseph gordon levitt but oh that is that is entirely about that. It's um, huh. it's a film where Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets into a relationship with Scarlett Johansson, who's like the hottest, the hardest baby he's ever seen. He's doing a kind of Boston accent through it. I can't do it, but it's very odd. <laughs> anyway, the whole film is like, sh- he's obsessed with porn and he can't give it up even when he's like involved with women. Hmm. And, you know, he, he has lots of real sex with real women, but he still loves his porn. And she finds out and makes him give it up but obviously he doesn't give it up he just says he's given it up and yeah but it's yeah it's quite that's slightly different i think if you if you've kind of got a bit of an obsession with it and it's a problem then that's different to just someone going what you you can't look at porn when you've got me (laughs) the film doesn't present it as that the film presents it as him being perhaps uh, obsessed with it but she doesn't know that she only like she finds out that he's you know had a wank one day and that's like the cause for the argument. She doesn't know that he's obsessed with it. 
um and ultimately the film you know i i i watched it kind of thinking oh it's going to come out on this kind of anti-porn don't lie to each other message but ultimately it's more of a he basically gets over the breakup and realizes that she's been completely unreasonable in expecting him to change for her like that when yeah yeah uh and that her obsession with rom-coms is you know every bit as bad as his obsession with porn because it's all living in a, a fantasy world and everything so i was actually quite impressed with the film but uh yeah i think it's quite common i i've certainly encountered that myself hmm um Shall we talk about orgies then? <laughs> We're on. Uh, I, I, Sweet, yeah. Let's do it. I do kind of want to lean into talking about that because se- I think that's probably the most famous sequence in this film, um, and it's certainly yeah. uh, probably the most interesting aspect of the film. That whole story regarding this Tom Cruise's character through he a friend of his who he's talking to. Let's slip that he's a pianist. A pianist, yes, and he has to be blindfolded. And one one instance, the blindfold sort of slipped. And he caught some sights of a lot of naked people and he said it was really yeah, uh, yeah something he, else he tells him i've just been doing these weird gigs lately for this weird company and it's bizarre like some of the stuff but it's really secretive and exclusive and blah 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 blah, blah. and yeah the, mm. the blindfold slipped off once and but I, yeah i like how he says he says like i've seen some things in my time but whoa the, this was something else it's like oh Yes, there's gonna be. There's definitely gonna be some horse fucking going on. There's gonna be. Well, that was it. It's gonna it's be so it's tame. Gonna be filth. He gets there's there and people he's... strung up by their necks. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great. Because mm. we are coming to this as well. Yeah, I mean, even Fifty Shades of Grey, all of those that we looked at. I think we may have commented on the tameness of the sexual scenes in those films as well. But this is sort of like. Uh, yeah, but this was still an NC-17 or something, wasn't it? It was still yeah, very yeah. shocking for the time. I mean, it is really tame because ultimately it is just lots of naked people and some simulated sex, uh, or, you know, the characters are actually having sex in some instances. I will say, I, I think it's remarkably creepy, this whole sequence. I think it gets really <laughs> quite unnerving in places. And this leads me on to something. A mask's a complete and utter boner killer for you guys. Yep. Because I Did you say mosques. <laughs> no mosques. I mean mosques don't do it for me either. I'll Let's not get into controversial topics here. <laughs> Basically, masks come up. These kind of Venetian masks are very commonplace in the world of porn. Um and sex, I guess, in general. A lot of people kind of seem to as far as I can gather, a lot of people seem to think they're kind of a sexy way to be anonymous if you don't want to, yeah. you know, show your face or whatever. Mm. But, like, for me, you know, I'm not a huge fan of glasses on a woman, but a mask, <laughs> it's like <laughs> ten pairs of glasses at once. It's just, it just instant turn off. I, like, I, it, it, everything about this orgy scene is so, rem- so devoid of of sexuality for me it's just so <laughs> unsexy yeah. profoundly unsexy and it's the masks I, they're just not I, I, I don't know about that i think the masks have some kind of historical relevance in terms of like they were once used well, for genuine anim- in- yeah, anonymity yeah. Uh, like masquerade balls well they are here just kind in of, this film still uh, I mean. fool around and stuff yeah um I, I i don't know if it's necessarily the the masks that makes it unsexy i think it's just everything 
in this film, some of the masks are like intentionally off-putting and creepy looking as well. It's mm. like, why are you wearing a mask with like a tear coming down its face and a sad frown? <laughs> like, it's like it's really un. Or why are you wearing like a plague doctor mask from, <laughs> from the Middle Ages? That's so unnerving. It's not. Yeah, but that was like sexy. one of the security guys, wasn't it? So that's okay. That, that's right. This is it. Like some masks can be like you know a, like a, a superhero cowl or something like that can be <laughs> can be quite. You know, Zorro, um, a bank no, well, robber. I, this is what I mean. This is what I mean. I don't. That for me is still incredibly off-putting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I I think I'm the only one of us who's actually been to a sort of masked orgy, right? Oh, I didn't realize <laughs> it was I masked. Be safe <laughs> yeah, I didn't know well, it was masked. One of them was. I mean, I, th- I think I talked about this last year, so I won't get, go into it too much. But yeah, uh, I went to one that was like, yeah, it was a masquerade thing. Everyone was. Everyone was masked. green. <laughs> they, they kept shouting smoking <laughs> uh, yeah and uh, and it was uh, i mean it, it doesn't help because you're meeting strangers that you are going to be quite intimate with and uh, it's just like you can't even see their face never mind like what anything about their personality or what they might be up to like what they might like and all that but as soon it's like everyone's wearing a mask and it's like okay and like there was a show there's like a burlesque kind of cabaret show thing and as soon as that was over it's like okay uh go through that room there's an orgy buffets next door <laughs> yeah sausage rolls and then you just take your mask and your clothes off and that's it because you can't fuck in a mask like and th- i'm not talking these weren't full face masks it was just you know your classic kind of well domino mask i guess you know the the mm. you kind of just the eyes and the nose and all that i'll tell you who can fuck in a mask the Mandalorian, because he, cause he's never allowed to take his mask off, is he, Calvin, the Mandalorian? No, but he finds a way to do it. <laughs> well, he obviously, he, eat, he must eat and drink in secret. Yes, um, well, he does. We see it in and the show. what, him eating and drinking? Yeah. Oh, well, I haven't finished season two yet. So oh, no, it's in no. season one. He goes to the... Oh, I, I wasn't paying attention. Those people that have those prawn... She t- uses a straw. <laughs> but he must fuck with the mask on. Well, we've not seen that. He's not allowed to take the armor off, but I'm assuming he has to kind of open the fly, like zip the fly down. And I think it's more of like a monk. Well, out. I don't think people have sex in Star Wars anyway, and if they do, it's always sort of off screen and with their sister. Yes. Baby Yoda was delivered by a stork, wasn't he? <laughs> they don't procreate. Yes, yes. Well, I just on this orgy scene again because um, it, it, like, like I said, I think it is one of the more um, memorable bits of the film. Uh, Again, like like everything in this film, it goes on for so long, and yeah. I think I would have found this music score. They have this kind of piano, like very minimalist score. Ding, uh, ding, yeah, ding, ding, ding. I think I might ding. find that very uh, effective ding, if it were not done ding, to the nauseam ding, that it is. Like ding, Sol is quite effectively demonstrating ding, here. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> but did it bother either of you? No, I, I I was very aware of it. It felt like when you watch a Hans Zimmer film that's, you know, with Christopher Nolan now, and you just, like, you're very aware of the music and how much thought and, you know, mathematical <laughs> calculation has gone into the music. It doesn't just wash over you. Um, so, yeah, I was very aware of it in that sense, and like, okay, I know exactly what you're doing. But it, it didn't bother me. I, I think it worked for me in the way it was intended largely hmm. but i do see how it could really really fuck someone off <laughs> if they weren't in the mood for it alan just out of interest when when you went to the orgy uh-huh. 
What was the password? <laughs> um, uh, they they didn't have a password. Um, you just had to book and then give your name at the door. <laughs> it wasn't a secret uh, so, Illuminati orgy. It was just so your password was Alan. <laughs> yeah. What, okay. what's, what name are you booking? <laughs> two for Alan? Thank you. Table for two. <laughs> I mean, look, we've talked about Nicole Kidman. What about Tom Cruise? I know we've done mm. Mission Impossible on this podcast before, but I don't think we really got into the the man, the enigma, Tom Cruise. He must have been wearing something on his shoes in that dancing scene with Nicole Kidman because they were the same <laughs> height, and that is not real. You know what I loved talking about the height, actually? Um, just a little detail. There's a scene early on, he's a doctor in this film, Tom Cruise, and there's a scene early on where he goes to um, a patient and the guy's dead. Uh, he's been called out by the guy's daughter, is that right? And um, Yeah, this is obviously a patient he's been looking after for a while. He's finally yeah. died, and so the daughter says... And she she throws herself at him, and he turns it down, and it's, you know... Yeah, in a very odd scene that doesn't play really. I'm thinking what you're saying it doesn't play because he would have banged her no I'm just saying I don't know it just we needed more context for that relationship yeah, yeah. For that yeah. to make any sense mm. yeah do you know what when that actually that it was that scene that made me think you know this this felt very Lynchian that scene particularly but the film in general I think they had a kind of Lynchian quality and I think it mm. was because it was boring and didn't make sense <laughs> 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 he goes to her place she throws herself at him he kind of rejects it you know he, he's mature about it and you know just says look we barely know each other and like you're grieving you're clearly you're an emotional mind. wreck um but then what i love is her husband turns up because he's coming home and the guy they've cast looks exactly like a kind of tom cruise stuntman <laughs> like a b a bargain bin tom cruise <laughs> but He's arguably more attractive. He's significantly <laughs> taller than Tom Cruise. And it's the only time I've ever really been aware of that in a film. <laughs> and I think it's quite unusual that Tom Cruise will allow himself to be filmed in a way where he looks so much shorter than another man. And and mm. I just found it really interesting because this guy, uh, Thomas Gibson, who plays the guy, he's called Carl. He looks like... You know that episode of Friends where David Schwimmer plays Russ, the yes. uh, rebound version of Russ? He looks like that to Tom Cruise. It's it's really uncanny. And I just found I, that I, I, fascinating. Because, made... it, again, it's it, that's absolutely Kubrick making a comment about the fact that this woman is throwing herself at basically the same thing as her husband, but she's acting out. And it's not about what these men are. Like, arguably, he's the inferior man. He's He's shorter. Um, but... <laughs> Do you judge all men? By all right, I, I, yeah, I have a couple of points. I want to um... First of all, perhaps personality comes into this, <laughs> as opposed to just height. Oh, but they look so similar. It, it like it again, that's nothing to do with purpose. their personality, really, is it? Saul's <laughs> so, so, judge uh, of men I, is just Richard Keel as Jaws is the peak of masculinity. <laughs> Nah. Is he not? <laughs> Absolute beefcake. But I, I made the same observation, actually, Sol. Yeah, I noticed it. Because I also thought that the woman looked a bit Nicole Kidmanish, Like, you know, mm. a bit of a kind of yeah. knock-off Nicole Kidman. So I thought there was going to be some point to that. But then the scene just kind of goes away and there isn't actually any point to that other than, well, I, like, I, he could I if think... he wanted to kind of thing. I think if anything, I think it's... the point is there. They're, yeah. They're showing it. And that is the point, you know? It, 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 all these characters have options that, you know, they, 
clearly presented to them they they contemplate they don't ultimately go with and and i just think it's a i think it's a really interesting thing you know we often talk about the idea of films as a a, a collage of ideas and i just think it's a really nice thing that plays into the the vibe of the film as a whole and what it's doing well i took i took it as kind of this is you know if we if we think of this as a hero's journey you turn down the uh, you know the quest at the uh the first instance and this is all kind of building up to getting him to a point where he is actually going to seriously consider cheating on his wife Mm. and go to the prostitute because preceding this we've had nicole kidman's whole dream speech about fantasizing about going off with this guy and then we have this and then i think the next scene is where he's on the streets and he gets um the shouted at by the um the college guys and his masculinity is affected by that so i just took it as these are the three things in this sequence that bring us to a point where he is willing to go and um cheat on her because i think the very next scene is where he goes to the the, he meets the prostitute yeah but that's this woman is not going oh do you fancy a quick shag she's like oh i love you let's run away together well exactly it's much more of a you know up your entire existence and run away with me is very different to lie to your wife (laughs) exactly and then the prostitute sort of says hey just come up come up these stairs and let's have a shag and that's that's a totally different prospect and and especially Mm. in his mentality at that time where he feels like he needs to get one back on his wife or whatever he's thinking Mm. Um, I, and I mean, another thing throughout this film, Tom Cruise, he's just throwing money about. It's like, it's, but it's yeah, really like show offy, like, look how much money I've got. And yeah. I, I, I really like that. And I, again, I think it was a really nice aspect of his character. And about halfway through the film, he kind of stops doing that and seems to swap out for his doctor ID. And instead of like buying everyone off, he starts saying, "I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor." I love, I love how he kept flashing his ID like a like a police badge, like yeah. in his wallet, and he's just like, "I'm a doctor." <laughs> but again, you know, I, I think that's probably supposed to mean something. I, I haven't thought about it enough to <laughs> figure it out. Because yeah, because this whole section is like a private detective going around trying to find out information, mm. isn't he? And mm. I quite like this bit. I got much more engaged with the story here. Well. So he, you know, after he's been in the 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 prostitute's bedroom, and then he's had a chat with his pianist friend, and he gets the address and the password to uh, go and check out this place for himself. Uh, he has a scene which I imagine is Calvin's favorite part of the film, although I, I might be completely <laughs> wrong in this assumption, where he goes to a costume shop, uh, whatever it is, midnight, and wakes up the owner and. You know, has to try and buy a, a a costume, a mask to get into this place. Am I that predictable? And it's this, <laughs> <laughs> and it's this uh, uh, sort of generic Eastern European kind of foreign man uh, <laughs> who owns the shop now. And halfway through the scene, there's some rustling, and it turns out that the guy's daughters like brought to, uh, they appear to be Japanese businessmen back for a, a threesome in his shop. <laughs> and he gets and, really and they're dressed up in like they've always been trying on the costumes and stuff. <laughs> It is one of the more sort Very of overtly comedic scenes in the, or I think it's going for that. I think it gets a, it's a bit mm. sinister later on where it's really clear that this yes. man is pimping out his daughter or he's uh, he's come to some kind of agreement with these uh yeah. these guys which is over because she is underage isn't she? She's uh mm. they they do make a point of that. I think Barry Lyndon's in the costume shop by the way. Is that uh, Was that Barry Lyndon? It looked like him. Nice little 
little Kubrick in joke there, like he does. Um, yeah, but that it's it's a weird scene. It, yeah, it's very overtly comedic. I really enjoy it, but it is completely yeah in its own just as a single entity. It's enjoyable yeah. and funny. But yeah, it doesn't add anything to the whole film, I think. And then, but yeah, that that bit in its, but that bit in itself is quite funny. But then the backup where he goes to return the costume, and it transpires that yeah, mm. he's come to some sort of arrangement. But not just that, not just like hey, okay, well, give me some money, I won't call the police. But then it's like, oh, by the way, Tom Cruise, you wanna you wanna fuck her? You can fuck her if you want. Mm. I know you got money. Mm. Like that, it, it just it's gone from. You know, okay, I can get, I can be bought off to. Well, I'm actually happy to prostitute my daughter. Um, just, it's just a weird thing. It doesn't really add anything. I didn't. It, 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 I don't think it's. I guess it, all it's saying is like, hey, sexual degeneracy. Ooh. Well, that's well, just that's it. it. It's I, another. Yeah. It's another subversion of you know, sexual something that might be quite sexy in the right context is completely stripped of sexuality and turned into something quite unpleasant and sinister um which is what this film sort of been doing throughout and it's after he's just been to the scary orgy scene and threatened you know it's well i did wonder if that was some kind of uh yeah the the orgy in the middle is kind of the the break and then because so everything after that is sort of like he's coming back to people the next day the next night and all this kind of thing and he goes to the prostitutes and he goes here and I don't know if they're going for some kind of not all is what it seems or I don't know I mean there's obviously the the theme of sex runs through pretty much every scene in the film that every scene someone is wanting Mm. sex or on a journey to find it or something like that so it's all playing into that thematically I don't know if there's more of a, a purpose to it than that yeah, when he when he goes back to the prostitute's flat, it turns out she's tested positive for HIV. It's all like again, completely like even even in like um the Alan Cumming is in a scene in this film. Um, as yes, yes, as a uh, New York uh, Scottish uh, hotel desk <laughs> clerk. Um, his accent slips in a couple of times, but even he's like he's very much lusting for Tom Cruise. Like there is um there is that, and I think oh, Tom is Cruise... that what that was supposed to be? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, I, I, my note was Alan coming doing something. <laughs> no, I think uh, he's not quite, quite clearly sure what he was trying to do. He's quite clearly yeah by the end. Him, but yeah. he's doing it in a very odd way. I've never seen him act like that before. And yeah. Also, for some for some weird reason, it was like his hair had just been like he just got up out of bed and the under. He hair. looked just like Pee Wee Herman, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen him that young before. Um, <laughs> he was about forty-two there. <laughs> you know who else is in this film? Uh, I do. I know loads of people who are in this film. I've got a cast yeah. list right here. Uh, <laughs> is Kate Blanchett on it? Is she on? Is she's uncredited? Surely she is uncredited. Yeah, she she is the voice of the mystery woman at the orgy. This is the voice of the mystery woman. <laughs> and appa- they only came out uh, two years ago, I, I believe, that she was that voice. It was only officially confirmed. Oh. Hmm. Uh, it was a mystery long put to bed. Because, you know, Kate Blanchett wasn't a, a thing back then, particularly, I don't think. I think she was just friends with someone, possibly uh, Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Um, the, it, apparently the actor couldn't do an American accent, but they needed someone based in London who was around who could come in and do it. Yeah, interesting. Like a Bond and, film. Yeah. <laughs> can, can, can we get into the, the sort of the ending of this plot? Because I definitely got a bit confused here at one point 
Uh, and again, it might be just because my attention had waned. But, so he's at the orgy. He gets found out that he's not supposed to be there. The sort of implication is they're going to give him either a good hiding or they might even kill him. And a woman, a mystery woman goes, no, I shall vow, I will take his place. Kill me instead. And he, he, so we don't quite know what's going on there. And then when he starts sniffing about afterwards, you know, he goes to see the prostitute she's missing. And the implication is, oh, it was her. It was the prostitute at the party. And she, she did it because he'd been nice to her. Uh, he eventually finds out that she's dead. He goes to see the body and it and it's her. And it was like, oh yeah, it is. It's the prostitute. And then he goes to see Sidney Pollack and Sidney Pollack says, oh, it's the woman. It w- that's the woman who took the overdose uh, at my party. At the very start of the film, yeah. And f- so for me, I was Tom like... Tom Cruise as a doctor was called in to kind of help him uh, yeah. with this woman who was <laughs> having a bad way. Yeah, and so I was like, hang on, is this... So this is a twist. So even Sidney Pollack doesn't quite know what's going on because it wasn't Mandy, the, the woman who had the odos. It was the prostitute, Domino, who was killed. But I don't think it was. Was it actually Mandy in the morgue? And did Tom Cruise know that? Because I didn't register that. And I got a little bit confused about what was going on there. And I thought it was going to be a twist where, like, even Sidney Pollack doesn't quite know how far this reaches, you know? But then I didn't really get that sense by the end. I'm pretty sure the woman in the morgue is the woman from the start of the film. Yeah, I... Uh, the actress who has an overdose. I, I prefer your version of it, Alan, actually. <laughs> I, 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 it never really occurred to me. You know, I, I, I never thought... Um, yeah. But because they were both kind of redheadish and, and just... They, it was just like a naked body on a slab. Well, I, 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 I really think register. they've been cast to look similar, you know? I, I think they're meant to be quite interchangeable uh, people. You saw her there, you went, oh, it's the woman who had the overdose. That's why she vouched for him, because he was nice to her and sort of saved her life. Mm. Um, I guess. And that and that may, that's how you saw it. Yeah, and then the society had concocted some kind yeah. of, yeah. Interestingly, though, that overdose scene. So, you know, she has an overdose. And the way he deals with it, I guess this is what doctors do, is he sort of shouts her name <laughs> until she gives him some response and sort of slaps her a bit. And then... <laughs> And then sort of like just goes, oh, she'll be all right in about an hour. Yeah. And then and then he and then he very patronizingly lectures her about drug use. What else are you gonna do? Prescribe her some antibiotics? They're not meant to do that, Alan, if they can avoid it. Well, no, take the hospital, pump her stomach, do something like all. He's like, not gonna do that because then it's whatever. gonna be a whole. It's gonna be a whole scene. He, he spent enough time with her to ascertain that she'll be okay, left to her own devices. And then he's like, "Right, she could." But then she could, why? Uh, she, why then she could is look she at me. so uh, kind of thankful to him? Why is Sidney Pollack so grateful to him? It's like, well, you know, if she died, we were just like, "Well, I just got my henchman to get rid of her." So who cares? Mm. Well, Sidney Pollack's thankful because he's like, "Oh, thank God, I don't have to deal with another, you know, another. dead." stripper in the carpet or whatever yeah but the like why even bring the doctor in if, he, if you're not going to let him do anything like if you say like look you can't take her to the hospital so don't do that what i'm sorry i, did, what I didn't know do? everyone 
thinks as rationally as you do when they're dealing with a potential dead body in there. Well, no, I agree with Ellen because if 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 this is really if he's really part of a society that would so willingly kill a woman in 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 its tribute instead of Tom Cruise when she sort of sacrifices himself for him, which is a pure formality. There's no reason to really kill her apart from the fact that she's given herself up as tribute. He, he obviously has a bit of a casual attitude towards killing people, so I I agree. It, it's... Well, he he might not be at the top of the society he's just like it's like when mr burns is in the stonecutters <laughs> and he and lenny outranks him mm. it's uh he he's part of the society but that doesn't mean he's in a position where if someone dies in his house in a party that it's not gonna cause implications for his personal life yeah Can um, we, we haven't and really all he does is call he goes oh my friend's a doctor let's get him in it's not like he does very much really and and i don't i never really got the sense that she was thankful to him for saving her and why did she give up a life for him yeah that's absolutely why well i don't think i don't think it is i i think she's self-destructive and she knows him and she doesn't want harm to come to him and she is willing to sacrifice her life for him well yeah i I don't think it's as simple as you did me a favor so now i'm gonna do you a favor i think it's more like my life is not got many prospects for it and i'm willing to give it up so that you can go on no, i think it's it. it's you well you saved my life so i'm gonna save yours it's totally that yeah it, it well it has to be it can't be anything else other than she's yeah mm. it can be what i just said which is uh which doesn't you know, make any similar, sense but, but that nuanced. makes sense for kubrick i guess it, it, so. it, that might work if we knew anything about her character whatsoever mm. other than yeah. she has an overdose at this party and she's a former beauty queen the uh, the what Sidney Pollack says is look it was all just pantomime we did it to scare the shit out of you and the whole thing was set up and she comes in at the last minute and saves you and you have to run away and then she just had a drug overdose because she was a junkie and like, I totally believe that that is so much more believable than like the alternative yeah. that like I was like yeah that makes sense all this sort of yeah. pomp and ceremony is just them fannying about and it's totally ridiculous by the way it's the most sort of pathetic. Oh, uh, stonecutters nonsense! <laughs> Where they're just like, "Ooh, look, I've got some, I've got some incense." Ooh, naked ladies. Ooh, it's just pathetic. Yeah, but but there are these pathetic little clubs that, and and by the way, uh, sue us, Freemasons. Come at us. Let's start some beef with the Freemasons. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally take it as like he's trying to throw Tom Cruise off the trail, but there definitely is an awful lot of sea- of uh, stuff going on with this organisation. They gave his uh, his friend a black eye earlier on and clearly roughed him up. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's intentionally ambiguous though as to what extent yeah. like how far they mm. their their hand reaches and how far they're willing to go. I think it's intentionally ambiguous because you know it's it's kind of creepy and scary not quite knowing, but at the same time it it's you know yeah, I mean these these societies I'm sure some listeners will disagree, but you know, certainly I don't believe they hold any kind of real world-changing conspiratorial power. Well, exactly. It's all just nonsense and dress up uh, and, and and play acting, isn't it? I think Kubrick was quite into Illuminati sort of stuff, wasn't he? Uh, this is uh, was he? I read that somewhere. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he was very skeptical about the whole thing. Oh no, he was a like total conspiracy theorist, wasn't he? I think it was someone else. 
I mean, may, I think you might be thinking about the conspiracy theories that he's embroiled in. That maybe like, I am the thinking faked about moon that. landing stuff. People often say that he filmed the faked moon landings, which is obviously bullshit. Mm. Um, and then the rocket imagery and the shining is his attempt to uh, confess that he <laughs> faked the moon landings, even though it's some bollocks. Mm. Yeah, actually, I think I might just be. I think I might just be responding to because I've definitely seen that Shining movie where people read a yeah. million things into his thing. I think, um, yeah, it looks like other people have read an awful lot into it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I've not read into his thoughts on it, but he strikes me as someone who would find conspiracies tedious and and silly, hmm. um, personally. But I might be way off base with that. But that's the thing. So this whole orgy scene, right? It's like it's supposed to be really creepy, and everyone's silently staring. I think it is that. really creepy. Well, no, I just thought it was stupid because it's just a load of twats dressing up in cloaks, going, "Oh, we're going to our secret meeting, and we're going to pretend to be creepy yeah, to scare someone." But <laughs> that's scary. No, it's not. It's pathetic. I, th- I think I think a load of twats who get silly ideas in their head is scary, more so more so now than ever. But, you know, this is why I find the Blair Witch Project and witches in general I find terrifying in films because it doesn't matter if magic isn't real. If there's some cackling, insane old crone who's gone out into the woods who's willing to cut your tongue out in your sleep because she believes it's magic, that is fucking terrifying. It doesn't matter if it's an idiot playing dress-up or real. And, And I think that extends here. I think Tom Cruise massively underestimates the shit that he's getting himself in because he doesn't know what he's going to ultimately and he doesn't realize that there's as much potential for danger when he does it he thinks he might get a slap on the wrist and thrown out but i I think it very quickly becomes oh this is a bit more serious than all that and it's actually quite scary personally i i thought some of it was kind of creepy but then i'm reading into it that it is a you know, a secret organization sort of thing and not all just made up. So um, I, re- I just read mm. it as being very real. Um, and I think in real life, that kind of thing, it'd be, I'm sure these kinds of orgy things with, you know, rich, influential people probably have happened at some point in time. But uh, yeah, uh, probably not to this extent. They're exactly like that, but you just have, you just have Louis Theroux in the corner with like a camera just walking <laughs> around asking people squ- Is this something questions. you do every day? <laughs> you have sex with people every day. I uh, I just listened to his episode with uh, of his podcast he's doing at the minute with a, an ex Scientologist. They were talking all about Tom Cruise. Oh really? And, um, how he's treated within Scientology? How how there's like you know they have the Celebrity Center in L.A. Mm. Yeah. And there's like an open area the public can go in. And then there's like a secret bit backstage for the celebrities. Apparently there's like a se- super secret bit that only Tom Cruise is allowed in. <laughs> <laughs> it's just his wanking closet it wasn't quite that bad i think john travolta's probably allowed in there as well but it's like you have to be like primo celebrity to be approved for can jason the Lee other bit so no can like, kirstie alley can't get in there jenner elfman isn't allowed but like tom cruise that's his bit do you think there was a day in like 2009 when john travolta like went in and his key didn't work and it's like what's happened is like you know like tom cruise i know he's he's ethically speaking it's a a tricky one but you know i i don't think i'm i think i'm i think this is quite an uninteresting boring take but cold take i i like tom cruise and i can't help but like him as an actor and a performer yeah 
he no. he has that movie star X factor, that charisma. It's completely phony and insincere yeah. in that real kind of Hollywood way. But you put him in a role like this as a as a really unpleasant, insincere knobhead or Rain Man or something that calls for it, and it just works. And I I really like Tom Cruise to be honest, and I kind of wish I didn't because he he's obviously involved in some really horrible shit. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I do think that it's like. Um... Oh, and also, he was totally in the right yelling at everyone on the set of Mission Impossible <laughs> and all the people going, Oh, you wouldn't let your boss talk to you like that? Can fuck off. Of course you wouldn't. <laughs> well, there was an awful lot of. Putting the entire production at risk. Someone sent me a, an audio recording of L. Ron Hubbard um, losing his shit, and it was eerily similar. Like the cadence, the intonation, it was definitely channeling some kind of Scientology. I think he was right to. Well, was he? No, actually. There is a whole element of Scientology and Jehovah's Witnesses and all that kind of stuff where you that's how you show people up. That's how you shame them and all this kind of stuff. And I think that was seeping into that. Maybe so, but, you know, ultimately, he's not just the actor on that film, he's the producer on that film. Yeah, I know. I do but... think if, if, a, if someone's, as he said, you know, someone's completely flouting safety protocol that does ultimately put lives in danger and the production in danger and the world's watching this production to see how it goes down with regards to the safety protocol i i think he was pretty justified obviously i wasn't there i don't know what the infraction was exactly um yeah yeah i think two people were just stood next to each other within six feet or something um i (laughs) i I do apparently it was it was a repeated breaking of the rules though i believe Mm, it was yeah I, I, I would love to pit angry Tom Cruise against angry uh, Christian Bale. Hmm. Do you think that's something we could arrange one day? What, in an audio mashup? <laughs> You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us! You're unbelievable, man. Because they believe in us and what we're doing! You're unfucking believable I'm on the phone with every studio at night! Oh, good for you! And how was it? Producer! Oh, They're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you Look, gee, you got fucking something to say to this prick? Um, I, 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 just to sort of agree with you, Saul, I think, yeah, I really like Tom Cruise. I think he's got that Hollywood star X factor, and I do think he's actually a very good actor when he really wants to be. He also does seem to be always acting in his real life as well. I think he's, it feels like he's completely lost any sense of self because he's been performing for so long. So, But yeah, I, I, I do feel like if I knew him, like if I was working with him, he'd probably get on my tits because oh, I, God. I, I think yeah, that completely. fake sincerity would would not work on me particularly because it would annoy me. But, like, mm. but when he'd be going like, oh, hey, Alan, I, I, I know your kids' names now. And he's like asking about your yeah, family yeah, yeah. and that. It's like, fuck off, mate. <laughs> I know, I, I, I'd hate it. I, I, I completely buy that he's incredibly charming and most people love it. And Yeah, if you meet him for 30 seconds, it's amazing. My my <laughs> yeah. girlfriend met him for 30 seconds and said he was like the loveliest man in the world. Of course. He would be. That's how they get you. Yeah, I think most people would go for it, but I agree. I'm like you. I I don't like it when people are nice. <laughs> I just think, what's your game? What is what's driving? What weird game are you playing? And the thing with Tom Cruise is, it is completely insincere, or well, maybe not insincere because I think he probably does want to be nice and want people to like him. But it's it's that Hollywood phony. Mm. Well, know, there was even not, even in this gonna... film as the character. Yeah. 
when he went into work and the the woman working behind the the reception or whatever, he was like, "Oh, hello, Susan. Good morning." And I went, "Fuck off, you insincere prick!" Like even that, like in character, it just because it was Tom Cruise, I think it was just like ugh, it just came across as like gross. It, it was because he said the name, like and just go, "Oh, hello." He was <laughs> that's like, what that's the trick. That's what they all do in L.A. I know, but 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 you you say that like it's like that classic psychological trick. It like it makes people think you've connected with them, but like it always works. But I'll tell you what, with me particularly, I, I get this uh, quite a lot when I'm on a job or, or doing something because obviously my name isn't really Alan. So if someone comes up to me and calls me Thomas, they've obviously just got my name off a list. They don't know me at all, and they're going, "Oh, hey, Tom, how are you doing?" And like. You've lost me there, mate. You're you're faking. It's like because of my fake name. Anyone who calls me Thomas or Tom, particularly, it's just like who the fuck are you? Because you obviously don't know me. Because no one calls me that. So like, why are you trying to be friendly to me? Your ex girlfriend used to call you Thomas. Well, that was different. She knew me from a long time ago, and uh, I told her to call me that because it's. I'm I'm sure Tom Cruise has an awful lot going on personally, um, but just I, I'm just I don't want to say anything because I know there's well he's not going to come after me. Well, anyway, do you, do you think <laughs> that us. come after us, Tom? Come at us seriously, <laughs> like sue us. Do you um do you think this was because they did divorce Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman not too long after this film? Do you think it led to some kind of uh, degrading of their relationship because I really feel like if yeah if you have Stanley Kubrick and apparently he would like <laughs> hold these you know just the three of them in a room where he really said that he wanted to know about their relationship and Nicole Kidman said it wasn't exactly couples counselling because there was no counselling but they would just like talk <laughs> about these aspects of their relationship and Stanley would just take it all in and she said it was probably really unhelpful to not have any kind of working through of it it was more just them coming yeah. out with these issues him running off and writing them down and then they're like oh okay uh well i i, I think their relationship troubles really enrich the film i think you really do get a lot of that in here mm. um I don't know. I mean, obviously, we'll never know. But my my instinctive read on it is that they wouldn't have lasted either way. Uh, perhaps, if anything, they stayed together throughout the production to kind of keep things together and might have just broken up on, on more amicable terms earlier. Mm. But Maybe bear in mind this that... perpetuated it and they would have lasted for another few years and then broken up. Who knows? But mm. I I doubt the film is solely <laughs> responsible for their but like they'd, they'd been together 10 years but presumably in that it's like tom cruise like oh i've got to go make this film it's shooting in britain i'll be back in three months like that sort yeah. of thing is really healthy for a relationship i think to have time apart. oh hey nicole Whereas now they're, they're nicole, spending all right? their time together mm. they, they were you know live in america they're away from home for like what two three years filming this with <laughs> with, with stanley kubrick who must have just been an app like for whatever kind of genius he might be and i'm i i do love a good deal of the man's work but i'm not i'm not a worshipper and he sounds like he must have been an absolute ass to work with i can't imagine it was like something he, he made tom cruise walk through a door like 48 times and it was driving cruise insane because he wasn't giving him any direction it was like well what do you want me to do now just just keep doing it and it's like that would just be so infuriating and for like three years as well and to be playing these kinds of scenes mm. on screen over and over again on a set and it's bringing your own couple relationship to the film as well. It must have just been an absolute nightmare. 
I think Kubrick, from what I can gather, it, it, it depends who you are. And I think some people have a really positive experience, or had, I should say, a really positive experience working with him. And he was very friendly and affable. And then I think other people, he just, you know, they had a horrible time. And I think it just depended what he wanted to get out of them. You know, Malcolm McDowell said he was lovely and considered him a friend. And then he just completely ghosted him after the film was finished, <laughs> which is in itself a horrible thing to do, really. But, you know, and Peter Sellers obviously got along with him well enough to work with him repeatedly. And uh, But then on the other hand, you have your Shelley Duvall's. And I imagine Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman got something closer to that, where he was really poking at the wounds to try and get something uh, you know on screen so yeah i bet they had a horrible uh horrible time do you know what actually jumped out at me about the film which i guess i i've kind of seen this before but so long ago i couldn't remember how little nicole kidman is actually in it mm, she's sort yeah of, she's in the beginning the whole setup and then he has his whole little adventure and she just comes back in the last 10 minutes for the kind of emotional payoff and it works you know but uh, yeah it was much less than i thought yeah you know. Um, can I can I ask you guys just to go on another sort of real life tangent as it's a Valentine's yeah. special? Um, we've talked a lot about sex. I want to talk about the opposite of sex: children. Ooh. Um, <laughs> because oh, there is a child in this film, isn't there? I forgot about that. Yeah, they've got a kid, and it it it, it kind of just lends a bit of extra weight to their relationship. You know, it doesn't really mean anything. But uh, I was just curious about you guys because. You know, uh, we're all in our 30s now. We're of an age where you, you, you should be making those decisions about whether you want a family and all that sort of stuff. And, like, I'm, I've am i come out the other end of it. I'm, like, I'm, I'm very anti-children on a whole, generally, not just in my life, but in, in the world. And um, I think they should just sort of generally be stopped. But be stopped. I appreciate that is not a common view. You're like a Roald Dahl character, aren't you, Alan? <laughs> um... <laughs> But I guess I wanted to ask you guys, you guys are like 30, 31 or whatever you are now. Are you, are you thinking about that? I, I feel like Sol, um, it doesn't particularly want kids, but one day he'll meet a woman who wants them and he'll just be like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then it'll just be like, he'll just go along. I, I, I will say I, I'm very consciously aware of the fact that you're getting older. The clock is ticking in, in real terms. I mean, I know as a man, we can just have kids into yeah as men that clock ticks a lot slower yeah um but you know to be a reasonable age for a kid i I think you know i'm very aware now that it's like oh probably within the next 10 years would be do you have any urges to do it it? do you have like that kind of paternal instinct where you go no not at all Uh, the idea is absolutely fucking terrifying and i i couldn't certainly my life as it stands right now it's not even you know close to considerable but let's say my you know life was sorted out coronavirus is done with um i don't know i I, in theory i like the idea of having i like the idea of all the nice bits that go with it (laughs) so i guess having a having had a kid that's grown up but then you know in real terms the whole like oh you've got to have a kid and be you've got to be responsible for it i i can't even the thought of having a a pet (laughs) that i'm responsible for is too much for me right now even a fucking goldfish because i but that's because you know i i care too much about giving it a proper (laughs) 
life <laughs> i wouldn't just put it in a bowl yeah. and leave it but I, I mean look in theory i'm against it and i think people shouldn't have kids nearly as much as they do and a lot of people shouldn't be parents who are so i think i'm kind of <laughs> the same sort of wavelength as you for the mm-hmm. most part um but i'm yeah i'm not i don't know i'll probably just get to an age where it's unrealistic <laughs> for, and it'll never happen and then i'll kind of be sad about it in my <laughs> later years well can i just can die I... on my deathbed lonely and <laughs> depressed i mean that's all i'm really all i really worry about is getting to like age 80 and dying and just being alone <laughs> see i'm not worried about that i'm like yeah cool that'll be fine because uh, you know uh, I'm, yeah i'm all I mean, right with that i'll honest, have, I don't know what I'm have about. friends i'll have people in my life you know but i and I, in fact, I feel like I feel like I will be connected to more people than I would be if I just like stuck my life to one person for fifty years. Like my yeah. my parents don't really have any friends, you know. They've just got each other, and they're kind of stuck together now. It's like, well, we better just see it out to the bitter end because fuck it, what else have we got? And you know, I think they do care for each other still, but you know, it's like, yeah. hi, Alan's mum. Uh, Calvin, kids? Uh, no. Uh, the next uh, nice step would be dogs. I would like to have <laughs> lots of dogs. Uh, and if I were to ever have a child, I think it would potentially be in another, like, 15 years when I'm late 40s and it would be adopting, uh, probably. <laughs> well, I assume that. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to Well, you can go to the efforts of spending an awful lot of money to have a biological child if you are in a same-sex relationship. Yeah, but um, yeah. that's expensive, and I'm I'm I I have no kind of instinct. I really I would love to have. Um, I've had a hamster since last June, and I really <laughs> love her. She's a lovely little hamster, and I think I'd probably be really unsufferable if I had dogs. But dogs are more where my mind yeah. is at. But that's practice, isn't it? That's like you get the dogs, and then maybe like, okay, better get knocked up now. So everyone listening's really randy right now. <laughs> they can't mm. wait to. Stop listening to this and go have a little <laughs> protected play. <sense>. Well, sh- <laughs> sh- shall we wrap up? Because um, we have been always wrap up. Be safe. <laughs> no, I, I meant f- uh, on the film. Um, the, the final scene is kind of Tom Cruise goes back to Nicole Kidman and tells her about everything. Yeah, he. Well, she's found the mask. Yes. He knows that she's going to be like, "What's this fucking mask about?" And he just. Oh man, do you know what? Everything. I, I really was. I can't even pay attention because I took that, and I know it was deliberately ambiguous at first. I took that as, oh my god, they've like broken into his house and put the mask there as a wall. Yeah, I, I think it's meant to play both ways. I think you're meant to be shit. Is the mask there and she's dead? Yeah, but I, I had not thought of the other way. I had completely not thought of the other way that you've just mentioned that she's found it and she's left it there as like a kind of like well as soon as you get in we're gonna have a conversation young man. Well, that's why he's, that's why he starts breaking down and crying as she stirs because I think he I think he thinks fuck she's dead and they've broken in and done that and then she moves and he's like oh no she found it and put it there and that's why he starts crying. But I genuinely hadn't considered the ambiguity. I just thought you know they'd put it there as a warning and he realized that he's going to have to just shut up and keep his mouth shut. And, mm. uh, oh, you see I well there you go. Yeah, no no, I totally agree with you actually. I just hadn't seen it <laughs> until you said it. <laughs> my loss. He spills everything to her much like she did at the start but we don't watch it happen and then they're out buying Christmas presents and she basically says, look, thanks for being honest. 
you know minds wonder we're both going through that uh i guess we we still love each other so we should probably have a go of it but like let's be more intimate let's have let's have sex mm. let's fuck and then the credits roll and uh i don't know i i, I really like this film <laughs> i think it's great i love all the character drama and the interplay and i love all that stuff i think it's a really nice exploration of mm. themes and ideas which what? obviously you don't <laughs> do you want do you want to rate it do you want to have scenes where you're kind of given a bit of a yeah because it's valentine's day and we're being sexy yeah i know not everyone who's into asmr uh is into it for sexual reasons yeah, but some are. people are so yeah. I, I think we should do like sexy asmr it's just a coincidence that all those there. asmr people are 22 year old women <laughs> <laughs> sexy women <laughs> My my girlfriend's really into ASMR for the non-sexual yeah, reasons, course, and I I over I overhear it from time to time, and it honestly I've the amount of times I've like burst out laughing that once she like started playing it and it wasn't like synced up properly to her headphones or whatever, so it started playing out the phone loudly, and the, <laughs> and the woman on the video said, "There's been an incident." <laughs> <laughs> Like it was a fucking policeman on the end of the phone or something telling you about a car crash. <laughs> it was so weird. Uh, yeah, I must admit I don't get that at all. But you know, each. Well, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't trigger the sensory whatever in me. So you know, I guess if it did, I'd be into it. But I like it when Billie Eilish does all the. In her music, <laughs> I was reading a thing the other day about how a lot of modern music seems to be going into this weird ASMR genre, like influence. Uh, Billie Eilish being the most obvious one, but there have been quite a few of them. Hmm. It's quite interesting. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess I'll go in the middle. We'll we'll do a we'll do a compliment sand. No, we'll do an insult sandwich where you two both slate the film, and I'm nice about Duh. it in the middle. Uh, shall I go first then? If we're the yeah we're... ASMR it up, Calvin, whisper, whisper it into the mic. My, my my score or just my final thoughts? All of it. As I said earlier on, I'm not. A <laughs> <laughs> Should I do it like that? Is that going to pick up right? Can you hear me? I can hear it fine. Yeah, I think... I've got a horn. <laughs> okay. I was just amazed at how how effective it was. Calvin, you should do a- ASMR videos on your Patreon. I, I probably yeah, should. Yeah, just do Bond. Talk about James Bond. <laughs> Calvin, whisper. have you got an OnlyFans yet? A woman. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, okay. <clears throat> As I said earlier on, I'm not that big a fan of Stanley Kubrick. I love some of his films. This is not one of the ones that I love. <laughs> Overall, it's lacking the kind of vibe that I need from him to really get something out of it. A la Clockwork Orange or The Shining. I even love Doctor Strangelove. But I can't connect with the characters in this film because of Kubrick's trademark coldness. And I think this is a story where you really need to connect with the people in order to get something out of it. Five out of ten. <laughs> I don't know if I could whisper for that long. It's really <laughs> tough, actually. <laughs> okay. It's hard, isn't it? It's very difficult. Um, I suppose I feel similarly about this film as you do, Calvin. But for me, I, I suppose I do find somewhere to connect or latch on to the characters and their experiences and what they're going through. And 
therefore it works for me as a, a kind of collection of ideas and exploration of a time or 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 place in a relationship and uh i also think it's quite beautifully shot and put together for the most part although i do wish the edit had been tightened up a bit so i i wish i liked it more uh it's one of those films i kind of find myself wanting to like more than i do like i give it a very strong eight out of ten that's lower than i thought it was going to be from you actually (laughs) okay so do i have to do that as well then yeah (laughs) okay Uh, this this film is very long it's very (laughs) and hard and really really boring and i think if you cut the whole nicole kidman bit out of it it would be quite an interesting 90 minute mystery thriller and i don't and you'd lose all the relationship stuff and the deeper meaning about relationship and emotions. And that would make it a lot more entertaining, if not artistically resonant. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't hate it. But ultimately, it just all meant nothing to me. And I couldn't relate to any of the characters because they actually cared about each other. And I don't do that. <laughs> so I gave it a five out of ten. That was very effective, Alan, I must say. <laughs> I felt shudders. Your ASMR voice is very similar to your Doc Brown from Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> Dial up the volume. And well, they'd be pretty much the same. I love you know, some some people have find my voice very sexy, actually. Michael J. Fox? No. no. What's her name? What's what? the one out of... <laughs> Elizabeth Shue. Out- <laughs> oh no, Mary Steenburgen. Mary, that's the one, Mary Steenburgen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, what what sexy story should we go out on? Uh, I, I was I was on a job once on a set, and one one of one of these one of the other guys, one just one of the other extras, who was just you know some of them are a bit mental, and um, <laughs> he told us all. <laughs> This story, which you'd obviously just heard tomorrow, it wasn't like anything he had first-hand information about, but he told us it very sincerely, uh, that Tom Cruise, like, has these big, like, guys who are security guards, and then sometimes, like, he'll go and hide, and if they find him, they f- then they fuck him. <laughs> 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 but he told us, but, which is obviously, like, not true, but... The guy, the guy telling this story, was just like told it so sincerely, as if that is something that would happen. It's like, yeah, it's Hollywood, isn't it? That's just sort of what celebrities get up to. And I just wondered, like, were they told this when they got when they were given the job? Was that like part of the interview process, or did is that get sprung on them? I'm killing fucking first. Like they find him, and then like, well, you have to fuck me now. Like, what? So that's Tom Cruise. Uh, For the record, I don't believe that story. Does he always? Does he always? Does he always hide in the bed then, presumably, (laughs) (laughs) or (laughs) under a cushion on the sofa? (laughs) He's hiding in the jacuzzi. I just had a mental image of him because he's so small anyway. Of him just like hiding in like the bin or in a cupboard. He's not, or... he's not that small. He's not fucking Kenny Baker. He's like five foot nine. Or something. Oh, 
Oh, Alan's got a, a nerve. It's because Calvin's so much taller than me, intimidates me. <laughs> how tall are you, Alan? And how tall is Tom Cruise? Uh, I think he's like five foot nine or something. He's like he's not actually as short. He's as average you think. height, I believe. Although I don't yeah. know if that's actually true. I need to look this up. Because obviously tall? he's always got those Al Pacino like heels on, so he's like two inches taller than he actually. Oh, he's one point seven meters. What's that in feet? Oh, nobody knows what that is. Uh, five point five foot six, something like that. Oh, yeah, just slightly below five foot six. Yeah, mm, ever so slightly. That is short. Okay, I take it back. That's pretty short. What are you, Alan? Um, five foot seven. I'm like, I'm, I'm five foot 11 in shoes. I'm like five ten and three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> so I say five eleven because it makes me feel like more of a man. You're about six foot, aren't you, Tatal? I am exactly six foot when I've measured myself. And I don't mm. dare measure myself again uh, okay, in case sure. I got it slightly wrong the first time, which was... <laughs> Probably about twenty years ago. That's like that's like me. I, I took a, I took a Mensa IQ test when I was twelve, and the score was so high. I, I'm never doing an IQ test again. <laughs> and I can always just say this is my IQ. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I'm six foot. Hmm. I certainly think of myself as a six foot man. Hmm. I'm certainly six foot in shoes, as Alan says. <laughs> hmm. And you're what six foot three, Calvin? You're like you're quite stocky as well. You're like a real man's man. Am I? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was gonna say no. I'm six one, and scrawny. Um, perhaps you could give us some uh, insight into the the gay world there, Calvin. But I I've seen in the heterosexual world, in my experience, a lot of women are very touchy about men being taller than them, and vice oh. versa. Men are a lot. Uh, are quite, no, they, they like men to be taller than them. Yeah, like, man has to be taller than them, otherwise it's a problem. And and then vice versa, like, men don't like women who are taller mm. than them. So if you're, like, six foot one and you're a woman, like, it can cause some problems, or if you're a, li- mm. a little fella. And it's weird, that is just, that is a kind of, like, just, you know, men are supposed to be bigger, and so if you're not, it doesn't, f- it doesn't mm. feel right in some way, I guess. I don't think I've ever slept with someone taller than me. Have you, Alan? Mm. I don't think so it, it, honestly it wouldn't be like a big deal breaker with me i i do like people who are smaller than me like i attract to that because i like being because i'm quite a stocky guy i like big guy anyway so i like kind of playing mm. up to that but it wouldn't be a deal breaker for me i could still I oh could yeah well it, yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't have an issue with it at all I, I do remember i went on a date with someone once who was six foot something certainly taller than i was and it was i didn't think i'd even notice it but i you know i was very aware of it when when we were like yeah. Walking outside after having a drink, when it you was have to stand like, on the oh, yellow page to kiss her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, it's a shame it didn't really go anywhere. But she was um, turned out more into the Christianity than I uh, was anticipating. So it would have meant, you know, a long relationship before anything happened. But, but so I, I think, I think we had like a little kiss on the lips. I think it was. Uh, so I, I've kissed someone taller than me, but I've not done anything else. But you'll see it on Tinder all the time and stuff like that. They'll oh, say, cons- "Oh, you yeah, must, like must be program. over five foot ten because I'm that that's how tall I." Like, and you see that a lot, which it feels a little bit body fascist in the 2020s. Oh, it but, is you know. completely. But because when know, I put on my Tinder, like, don't be over nine stone, it's like that's apparently offensive. Uh, but yeah, Calvin, I assume there's sort of similar dynamics going on in the gay world. I bet there's people who are bothered by that stuff. 
Oh, there's so much fetishization of all kinds of physical um, types, yeah. Um, so it, it's never come up for me necessarily. I suppose I've always sort of dated people relatively similar in height to me. Uh, but that's a logistical thing, isn't it? You know, you don't want them, you know. <laughs> some t- it, angles might not work. I have been, I, I was with a woman once who was so short, like five foot, that we couldn't do a proper 69, like, because she was too far away from my face. <laughs> like, I had to kind of reach, and it was too much of a strain on the neck. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've, yeah, I've done that way. We had to kind of, you have to kind of lean forward. It's a bit of strain on your back, but it's never been much of an issue. You just can't do it for very long, that's true. Mm. Mm. I, I must say, it's weird, isn't it? When you never really think about the physical logistics of it until you're there with someone and it is like oh this is quite this isn't quite compatible (laughs) like (laughs) these these pieces don't quite fit we're trying to jam a jigsaw piece in that's (laughs) got like an extra corner it's what it feels like i can't think of any specific instances of that but i I definitely have encountered that where i think they must have been smaller rather than too tall i've got a story to tell you but i'm not telling you it when we're recording (laughs) (laughs) Not for my own benefit, but just because it's just a bit too personal uh, in terms of... Should we um, should we end the episode there, and then Calvin and I can go off and enjoy this salacious <laughs> bit of gossip? Yes, that sounds And leave the ideal. listeners wanting more. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for Sexy Valentine's Day, everyone. Yes. Um, if you if you like this choice of film, if you want to have your say, if you'd wish we'd done something smuttier or or whatever, um, head over to our Patreon account, Dim Returns. Uh, what is it? Patreon.com forward slash Dim Returns, uh, where you can sign up and get access to a whole load of Diminisodes, such as the one where Alan and I chat with Calvin about having coronavirus. <laughs> it was a harrowing um, one, that. God. Or, or the excellent uh, James Bond little quiz that we just played about mm. people on Twitter, which was, was fun. very good fun. I think yeah, that's going to turn out really well. And you can take part in polls to select future episodes as well. We, we've yeah. got a load of votes coming up. We've got um, Currently, we're running a big vote to select a film that we've already covered on the show to look at again for our 250th episode as a kind of retrospective. And uh, do come back next week when we will be doing a very special episode in which I overtake the show to plug my new podcast (laughs) and uh, uh, we will be covering a film spin-off of a tv show i will not say anymore Mm -hmm. tease tease all right right. happy valentine's day happy valentine's day uh i forgot about that (laughs) 